0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome to the New Books Network Jewish Studies channel. I am your host, Dro Arusi, Senior Director of the ASF Institute of Jewish Experience. Today, we have the honor and privilege to speak with Professor Reva Specter-Simon, who, among other works, wrote the book, The Jews of the Middle East and North Africa, The Impact of World War II. We'll get a little more into your background and the content of the book as we begin our discussion. So Professor Simon, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I look forward to really hearing about this. I know that uh, we've spoken in the past about this research and we've uh, expanded upon a little bit and spoken. So I'm excited to really get into it and share it with our listeners. So let's start with a little bit about you. Uh, You worked as Associate Director of the Middle East Institute at Columbia University, as well as a professor of history at Yishimi University. Can you first tell us a little bit about um, your roles there? Well,
1: first of all, Dora, let me thank you for inviting me to this interview and bringing attention to this important topic. I'd also like to acknowledge the significant contribution and commend the ASF and the Institute of Jewish Experience uh, for their contributions to uh, Jewish education. Thank you. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean it. At Columbia, one of the projects we worked on concerned minorities in the Middle East and North Africa. And we were able to produce a volume on the Jews of the Middle East and North Africa. It was The Jews in the Middle East and North Africa in Modern Times. Uh, I did it uh, working with Michael Laskier and Sarah Rieger. Uh, And it contained chapters on individual countries, as well as survey articles on history, economics, literature, music, education, and so on. Both at Columbia and at Yeshiva University, I was interested in developing pedagogical materials that teachers could use to integrate the story of the Jews of the Middle East and North Africa into the general European uh, Ashkenazi-oriented curriculum. At one point, I was uh, talking to a colleague who was involved in taking American high school students on the March of the Living. She found that students had three, three reactions, three general reactions, and these were typically linked to their backgrounds. Children of survivors identified immediately. They went to look for names and seeking relatives and so on. Grandchildren of American Jews who had come to the United States before World War II had less of a connection, and I identified with that because my parents came before World War II, and my father fought in uh, World War. My father fought in World War II as an American. Group, American Army, yes, U.S. Army in World War II. Uh, and the third group were children whose families came from the Middle East and North Africa and had little to no connection to events. I was really taken by these reactions, especially. Because the story, as the story of the Holocaust becomes part of the Jewish-Israeli historical narrative, it leaves out half of the Jewish community. And the gap between Ashkenazim and everyone else becomes even wider. So I decided that there was a story to tell, that the Jews of the Middle East and North Africa were affected by World War II, and that their story was also, is also a part of the general uh, Jewish. uh, Israeli World War II uh, story.
0: Well, like you mentioned, that's not the mainstream of most research. So where did you find your research materials or what methods did you use to find the information?
1: Interestingly, Interestingly enough, much of the material has already been published in books, articles, and memoirs, but not as one unified story. So I decided to put it all together. And in addition to books, articles, memoirs, newspaper articles, I use materials in various archives. For example, the uh, United States National Archives, the British and Israeli archives, and the American Joint Distribution Committee archives both in New York and Jerusalem. And there are also transcripts of oral history interviews that Yad Vashem has done with Jews uh, from various North African communities.
0: From North African specifically, or also from the Middle
1: East? Uh, they started with North Africa. There's a lot on Libya, a lot on in tu- Tunisia.
0: Interesting that they didn't, so they don't have anything, oh, we'll get into that later. Um, sorry.
1: Well, they, I, they might yeah, now, but I know that uh, when they began, they, they were really working on, uh, again, Libya, Tunisia, that part of North Africa.
0: Okay, and you can... Can you mention why specifically Libya, Tunisia, just? Uh, uh,
1: I, don't okay. I don't know. I don't know why.
0: I just thought that's where maybe the camps were, and that's where
1: um... Or that's where they had people who would give oral histories, or you know, people who are interested in those particular countries.
0: Right, Whatever's accessible.
1: Okay, sure. Um,
0: OK, so let's go back to the book for a minute, or start with the book for a minute. You start the book in the 1930s with the rise of Nazism and European anti-Semitism in North Africa, particularly Algeria. Uh, What do you think was the appeal of European anti-Semitism in Algeria?
1: Well, first of all, we have to remember that during the 1930s, politics changed not only in Europe but also throughout the Middle East and North Africa. It was an era of nationalism and independence movements. Countries under British and French rule wanted independence from their colonial overlords. And some of them looked to Germany uh, as a role model, because Germany didn't have colonies in the Middle East and North Africa. And Hitler stood up to Britain and France in the uh, in the 1930s. At the same time, French anti Semitic political parties penetrated North Africa, especially in Algeria, which don't forget, Algeria uh, had been politically part of mainland France since 1848. The three northern provinces were French. The European settlers the French encouraged to settle there opposed the 1870 decree that granted Jews, Algerian Jews, French citizenship. Throughout the 1930s Jews especially in Algeria found themselves caught between the French settler community that didn't consider the, the Jews French and the Muslims Who identified Jews with their colonial overlords? In addition, European anti Semitic literature appeared in the Middle East, where there were already residues of Western style Christian anti Semitism. Notably, the blood libel of uh, Damascus, blood libel of 1840. The Protocols of the Elders of Zion was translated into Arabic, and Mein Kampf was serialized in in Arabic newspapers in Iraq and in North Africa.
0: And all this was happening in the 1930s or
1: before. It started it started at the end of the 1920s. And by 1938 there were Nazi party cells in Lebanon, Iraq, Egypt, Iran, Afghanistan, Tunisia, Turkey and the British Mandate in Palestine. And I live in Jerusalem for example near a street called Emek Rafaim, and that's where the head of the Nazi party used to march up and down uh, during the, uh, the 1930s, <laughs> during the, uh, until the war. Um,
0: sorry. Right. So let, let's go, you, you keep referring to World War II, and you're not referring to the Holocaust. Can you speak, I know it's a little more than semantics here, so if you can speak to why you called the book also the impact of World War II rather than the Holocaust.
1: Because clearly the Holocaust resulted in the slaughter of European Jewry. But while it is true that the Jews of the Middle East and North Africa were not annihilated, but don't forget Jewish communities in the Balkans, Greece, and Rhodes were wiped out. The war, World War II, had a profound impact on the lives of Jews from Morocco to Iran. And so if
0: it wasn't necessarily a Holocaust and it wasn't connected to the same white was there a difference between the Jewish communities and the Muslim communities in those? The impact of the war hit North Africa and hit the Middle East. Yes. Was there a difference specifically with the Jewish communities in
1: those <clears throat> um, in those countries? Everybody suffered <clears throat> from the war, from food shortages and deprivations. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> but the war affected Jews from Morocco to Iran directly. For example, there were bombings and invasions. Libya and the Palestine mandate come to mind. Haifa was bombed, Tel Aviv was bombed by the the Italians and people died. I mean, there were uh, heavy casualties. There were anti-Semitic regulations in French occupied territories, similar to the ones in mainland France. There were forced labor and deportations in North Africa uh, there were internment camps in Lebanon. We don't think about that. There were internment camps in Turkey. And there were attacks on Jewish communities, notably the Baghdad community um, in Iraq. So that's point number one. Point number two. Can I stop okay? you for a minute? The deportations were to where? Uh, deportations were camps in the countries. Okay. After, point number two, after June 1940, when France surrendered to Germany, Britain stood alone fighting the Nazis in Europe, and we hear a lot about Britain standing alone fighting the Nazis in the Blitz and so on. But they were also fighting the Nazis in North Africa. For two years, there was a back and forth war in Libya between the Axis forces, the Italians and the Germans, and the British who controlled Egypt. The goal was to drive the British out of Egypt. In May 1942, German forces reached the borders of Egypt And had they broken through, the Nazis would have taken Palestine and Jews there and in the rest of the Middle East and North Africa would also have been annihilated.
0: And you mentioned, I'm going to go back to the camps for a minute. Um, You mentioned that they were deported to the camps in their countries. We think of when we think of camps in World War II. we think of the concentration camps, we think of the extermination camps. What kind of camps are you referring to here?
1: Uh, There were internment camps and labor camps, and I'll get to that uh, a little bit later. But uh, I think I think the bottom line is that the Nazis did not have time, nor the logistics to build uh, to build uh, annihilation uh, camps in uh, in North Africa. Were there plans? Yes, there were plans in Tunisia, and, they, and they, the Germans controlled Tunisia for a bit, but they just, they, uh, uh, and they sent uh, people from the SS there, but they didn't have the time, and they uh, were, nor the logistics to deport people to uh, to mainland uh, Europe.
0: Okay. So you've referred already trans- tangentially to the Farhoud and the camps, and people don't, talk about it very much. Can
1: you expand upon it a little bit? Sure, the Farhud or the attack on the Baghdad Jewish community in June of 1941 was a shock to the Iraqi Jews because they were the most Arabized Jews in the Middle East and they felt at home in Iraq. The attack occurred when Iraqis lost a short war against British forces in May of 1941. British, the Brits had by treaty a military bases in Iraq. At the time, the Iraqi government was backed by pro-German Arab nationalist military officers and the Mufti of Jerusalem, who had found sanctuary in Baghdad after fleeing the British in Palestine. The Iraqis negotiated with Berlin for support for the war, but they didn't receive it in time. As the retreating soldiers moved toward Baghdad, Mobs in the city attacked the Jews on June 1st and 2nd, which coincided with the holiday of Shavuot. People were dressed in their their, uh, holiday finery and they were out and about. The attack or the Farhud as it is called in Arabic resulted in the deaths of 180 Jews. Some 500 businesses were looted and more than 900 buildings housing more than 12,000 people were pillaged. Some Jews fled to Iran, some went to India, but few could enter Palestine because of the immigration restrictions of the British White Paper. By the end of the summer, calm was restored. But nevertheless, the Farhud was a traumatic event for the community and has had a lasting impact until this very day. With regard to camps, labor and internment camps, thousands of Jews were sent to internment camps or worked as forced laborers especially in North Africa. And there's no record of many of the internees because men who were stateless were as a result invisible to foreign relief organizations. And also the camps opened and closed, names changed and we really don't have an accurate record of, especially in North Africa of how many camps there were and how many people were interned. Well, during the 1930s, there were internment camps in Southern France near the Spanish border. And these were set up for political prisoners and thousands of refugees fleeing the Nazis from Germany and Austria. But when France capitulated to the Nazis, camps were also set up in, in Morocco and Algeria to intern primarily uh, European Jews. And These included demobilized Jewish soldiers who had volunteered to serve in the French army, Algerian political prisoners, refugees taken off of passenger ships, and people who had managed to find shelter in in Algeria. Men were also sent to work on what was known as the Trans-Saharan Railroad, a French plan to link Algeria and Sub-Saharan Africa, where these men had to lay track across a thousand, more than a thousand miles of desert, working in conditions of extreme heat during the day, bitter cold at night, living in crowded camps with little to no shelter, And they were often guarded and tortured by anti-Semitic former legionnaires. Similar camps were set up in Tunisia in late 1942 when the Germans assumed control. There were also Italian camps in Libya. The most notorious was the Jadot camp near Tripoli where men, women, and children were sent. Some 562 people died of typhus. Some Jews were also deported to Italy and later to Bergen-Belsen. I think I should say a word about camps in Turkey because nobody really knows about labor camps in Turkey. And uh, the camps were set up in Turkey to intern people who did not pay the wealth tax. During the war, the Turks imposed a horrific wealth tax on. Uh, minority communities and Jews ended up paying pretty much more than anybody else. These are people. Uh, or, uh, Christians were taxed. Armenians were taxed. Jews were taxed. If you didn't come up with money, then uh, the breadwinners were sent to labor camps, and your household goods were sold off to the highest bidder. <clears throat> Stores, companies, houses were sold uh, to uh, to Turks, for example wasn't the fact that the camps were so terrible. The fact was that the incident, the tax and the deportation decimated the community economically. And the, the Istanbul in particular, the Istanbul community <clears throat> was never the same after that. And uh, it, uh, it, you began to see people uh, emigrating from Turkey <clears throat> as a result of that tax. <clears throat> so you
0: know, pivot, kind of pivot a little bit because I we're talking about things that I think people don't know about so much and things that um, I was excited to read about as well. So we often overlook the strong females in our history. So um, I was really excited that you were writing about Helene Benatar um, and can you share with our listeners a little bit about her?
1: The heroine in Morocco was a young Jewish attorney Elen is Benatar, <clears throat> who began assisting refugees during the summer of 1940 and didn't stop. It's estimated that Benatar was instrumental in aiding tens of thousands of European refugees. Uh, she intervened with civilian and military authorities, provided necessary guarantees, and arranged for exit visas, housing, and medical treatment, often working in cooperation with international Eight organizations, including the American Joint uh, Distribution Committee, HIAS, and later with the Quaker American Friends Service Committee. After Operation Torch, the Allied uh, landing in North Africa in November 1942, she worked with the Allied authorities to release internees from labor camps and and to provide housing and jobs for them people who have written the most about uh, Benatar are Michal Ben-Yaakov, who has written a number of articles, and most recently Susan Miller in her book, uh, Years of Glory, uh, has written a biography of Benatar and her work uh, during the war.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I want to make sure that we highlight because it's not often that we get to highlight the women. So thank you very much. Um, I want to repeat that um, this book came out by Rutledge in 2020. It's available also in paperback, which is a nice little edition. We talked about that from the beginning. So it's, it's definitely affordable. Uh, and it's called The Jews of the Middle East and North Africa, The Impact of World War II by Professor Riva Spector-Simon. So before we conclude, we always like to ask, what, what's next? Where are we going now? <laughs> Where are we
1: going now? Well, I'm sort of looking into the American Jewish involvement in the 1948 Israeli War of Independence. So that's about it. I just started looking into that, and there's yeah, there's a lot to uh, to look at.
0: And that'll be interesting in the context of the American perspective on World War II and the Holocaust. So I wonder how...
1: Uh, yes, there <laughs> is. Yes, there is.
0: Well, thank you very much for joining us today. We greatly appreciate it. And we look forward to having you again on the New Books Network. Thank you very much, Dora. Thank you. Shana Tova.